Our episode today is brought to you by Cathode Ray Media. Cathode Ray is a full-service marketing agency that connects government organizations to their communities. Visit cathoderay.com, that's K-A-T-H-O-D-E-R-A-Y.com to learn more or ask for a free no-obligation consultation. No one's going to write an article about it and put it in one of the economic development publications. I mean, why would you give away your biggest lead-generating technique? And I think that's probably one of the benefits that you have of having written a novel is that you do give away these things that are secrets of the industry. Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back. We're here with Don Irwin. Don is the author of Buffalo Hunting in Alabama, a novel. Don, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dane. I appreciate it. I'm excited about being on your podcast. Well, thank you. I'm excited to have you. You're the first novelist that I've ever had on the podcast. Wonder why that is. Why are there no economic development uh, novels? Uh, you know, I, I've thought about that a lot. Um, I think one thing is is um, there there are no, there's nonfiction by economic developers, and um, and I think even then they have to be careful. But fiction, I think, would um, maybe be a little challenging if if somebody on an economic developer's board didn't like what they put in the book or something like that. So that's that's probably the reason. I think that makes sense. I've talked to a number of economic developers who have side businesses or um, consulting, and they sort of try to keep it quiet so that their boards don't find out and don't get upset. So I can see that as being a possibility. Could it yeah. also be there's just not a critical mass of economic developers? Oh, that's true. That's true. You know, even in, even in my particular case, I I waited until after I retired to um, to really publish the book, even though I had I'd written most of it, because I was sort of a spokesperson for my company, and I didn't want to confuse anything in the book with with my responsibilities with my company. So anyway, that's probably the reason. That That makes excellent sense. So why don't you give the listeners a little bit of background uh, about yourself, and then, we'll, and then we'll talk about the book. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah, I, I mostly grew up in Alabama, except for a few years in Germany. My father was in the military, but... Uh, most, I grew up mostly in Alabama. I went to the University of Alabama, majored in English and minored in, uh, in uh, I majored in economics and minored in English and concentration in German. And um, then after college, I went to work for Alabama Power Company uh, a couple of years as a writer. And then I spent about 10 years um, in the IT area doing sys computer system design and, and over an operations group. And um, while I was doing that, um, I was using my vacations to go to Europe to work on languages, and the economic development people at the other end of the hall heard about that. And uh, one day they asked me whether I would be interested in maybe doing economic development, and I said, "Well, what would you? What would I be doing?" And they would 
they said, well, you'd be going to Europe a lot. It took me about three seconds to go, yeah, I think I'd like to do that. So I spent um, all of the 90s um, doing economic development for Alabama Power, uh, traveling uh, a lot in Europe. Um, I was on the uh, Mercedes-Benz project team that brought Mercedes to Alabama, uh, worked on the British Steel Project, worked with a lot of uh, German companies, some UK companies, that sort of thing. And um, then I worked for a couple of years for uh, a statewide nonprofit economic development group, the Economic Development Partnership of Alabama, heading recruiting for that. Um, but back in the in the late nineties, I had um, was bringing it German prospects in particular over to a, a a museum that a guy named George Barber had set up in a warehouse in downtown Birmingham. Uh, a motor he had a big motorcycle collection. And, and I, I remember bringing one of the Germans over and after about 10 minutes in the museum, he canceled his appointments in Atlanta. And I thought, aha, here is something that I can use as a hook to attract people. So, um, in 2002, well, what, what happened then was, um, I started talking to George Barber and asking him what he wanted to do, uh, with the museum. And he told me he wanted to build another museum at some point in time have better visibility. And I said, well, I know some property and it's a, like a lot of times it was property. The first time the project fails, but the second time the project works out. So, so, um, uh, I took him out to this property in 640 acres. And when he saw it, he got the idea of building not only a museum, but a road racing track as well. So, uh, these days, so I ended up working for him. Um, these days it's 830 acres, um, has the largest motorcycle museum in the world. It has, uh, the largest Porsche school in the world of, of, of Porsche's 15 schools around the world. It's the largest 30% larger than their school in Germany. Uh, Mercedes Benz is the second largest customer. Uh, I've had IndyCar races there now for 11 years, except for the COVID year. So, um, since 2002, I really, I've worked for barber companies and doing that about half the time and doing commercial real estate matters, not really leases, but governmental affairs and marketing PR stuff like that. So when COVID hit, I had turned 65 and, um, a lot of the things I was doing, dealing with city hall, that sort of thing that just went away, people didn't go to work. And I said, you know, life's not forever. Um, and I had always wanted to write a novel and I had actually written most of it. So I said, well, now's the time. So I retired, worked about three months solid on it. And, uh, uh, the result is, is Buffalo hunting in Alabama. So that's sort of the story. That's a, that's a great, uh, intro. So why don't you tell us about the story? Um, you know, if, if you're going to write fiction, you've got to have a lot of, a lot of tension and drama. And, and ideally there's got to be big things at stake. And when you think about it with economic development, mega projects, I mean, that's, that's surely the case. I mean, when, when Mercedes decided for Alabama in 1993, um, Alabama didn't build a single automobile. Um, last year, Alabama built more than a million automobiles. I mean, that's pretty big stakes because what happened was once Mercedes landed then the other automakers that was sort of like the badge of 
excellence for Alabama, and they they started following in. So, um, you know, the, these big projects, Airbus, um, uh, we H two Q HQ two, the Amazon project. I mean, they're they're big projects with intense competition, a lot of intrigue. Um, you know, it's it's perfect elements really to write a a fiction thriller about. And so, to me, it was obvious. Uh, well, that's got to be a big part of the book because that generates a lot of conflict and tension. So it was picking out a particular topic, and and uh, I chose to do a, a pharma plant, which Alabama doesn't have a big pharma plant. So, um, and then the other part of it was the whole idea of people, and that is um, uh, the main character had left Alabama, really fled Alabama when he graduated from high school, went to school in the Northeast, worked overseas, was happily living in New York, working for a big investment firm. And then Alabama starts trying to attract him back to do economic development. So you have those two plot lines going after the big, chasing after the big, the Buffalo, the big mega project, and then also trying to attract human talent as well. So um, those were the two core ideas and, and I pretty much stuck with them and, and uh, added and subtracted a lot along the way. But um, anyway, that's how it worked out. Well, it was an excellent read. I read through it, I think last week. I read the book and sometimes I was listening to the audiobook, and sometimes I was reading in the car, I was listening. And then I would get home and I'd, I'd want to jump back in and continue reading. I thought it was a very, it was a very engrossing book. And I, I don't know if that was because I'm familiar with economic development. I do a lot of attraction work or whether it was a sort of a espionage thriller in this sort of different format. And I was into that. So I don't know which one it was, but I was really engrossed with all of the book. I was trying to hit several different target markets. I mean, one thing is it's always sort of been a issue with me is that the public really doesn't know much about economic development. Um, they really don't. I mean, no 10-year-old wants to be an economic developer for his, his or her career. Um, whenever they do hear something about economic development, it's mostly negative. It's either a controversy about incentives being arg uh, offered or it's corporate welfare being talked about in, in every other sentence. And those aren't positive messages, really. And so I thought, well, you know, if we're going to make economic development more palatable to the general public, then we need to involve them in what it's all about. And they're not going to read textbooks, just not. And so why not do a thriller about economic development? And so they painlessly pick up a fair amount of knowledge about economic development as a, as a part of just reading a good story. So that was, that was really one of my goals. The other thing was also uh, write a book that that seasoned economic developers would also find challenging and, or, or intriguing at least. And so I put in some stuff, um, that I thought, uh, particularly on, on database proactive prospect generation, lead generation that I thought some folks might find intriguing. Um, it was really a challenge to balance both of those because when I would talk to some, to some agents and stuff, they would go, well, there's too much economic development in there and I'll go. Yeah, but I really, I really want to do that. I want to do that for the first book and go ahead and get that out there. And then maybe in the second book, I'll cut down on some of that a little, keep, keep the topic, but cut down a little bit on it. So 
you know, it's sort of like these Marvel movies. They, they have to tell the origin story first about how Spider-Man came about or, or Captain America. And then the second movie, they don't have to go through all that again. They can get us straight into the action. So anyway, that was some of my thoughts when, when writing the book. So let's talk about the economic development, the things that you included in the book that you thought economic developers might find intriguing. I sent you an email right after I finished a couple of chapters and said, these chapters are, are phenomenal, where the main character, Ezra, is sort of introduced to the economic development. He comes from another company in New York City. He's not doing economic development. He's doing finance. And he comes down to Alabama to interview for a job. And ultimately, he ends up taking a different job. And he gets this introduction to economic development and recruiting and databases and whatnot. Why don't you, can you walk us through that? Can you walk us through sort of what you said in those chapters? You know, uh, I guess one, a key point in that chapter is there's, there's a guy named Daniel Kahneman, an Israeli psychologist who wrote a book back in 2011 called Thinking Fast and Slow. Uh, he won a Nobel Prize in, 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 one of the big things that he said was most people think that they make decisions based on data a lot greater time percent of the time than they think they're really making gut decisions. Um, uh, sometimes they like to see the data just so they know data and data analysis was done. But a lot of times they make the, really the decision is a gut decision. And, um, you know, what's happened, in my opinion, in the last 20 years is that companies and site selectors, their whole world has changed with data tremendously. Um, they can, they can um, cut hundreds and thousands of communities simply through data. And when they're looking for a site, you know, they can say, okay, we don't want any of the counties that are not growing um, or are not growing by X percent a year. Or we don't want any sites that are more than X number of miles from an interstate. Um, they could do cuts like that just very simply with data now. And so you may have local economic developers who, you know, they've been practicing their, their elevator pitch and, and they're great communicators. They never even get a chance to make a pitch to those companies because they're cut and never even know they were considered. And I think, Data is dependent on too much because there's other elements that go into it. And so the only way for economic developers to, in my opinion, to get around that is to get to the companies before they do formal site searches and build relationships so that they can get in, in included. Because when you build a relationship, you start to build the gut instinct. And the way to get to those companies is identify the companies that are growing because most of the time, if a company is not growing, it's not going to have a project. If it does have a project and it's not growing, a lot of times it's a desperation move where they're fleeing a particular area. And you may have them for a couple of years, but then the same problems that they have inherently manifest themselves and you end up, end up losing them. So you first have to target the growing companies. And, and I'm not so, I'm not, unlike most people, I'm not so set upon target segments either. And we can get into that if you want, but the first criteria is for growing companies and, um, in growing traded companies. Um, because if they're non-traded, basically they're just living off the wealth in most cases in your community. 
mm-hmm. whereas traded companies bring wealth into the communities. So then the second step is you have to identify the decision makers, uh, the, 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 the key folks. Most of the time, that's the officers. But, you know, I, I found doing economic development, if I got an appointment in, in with, with the decision maker in a company and it, it, he gave me 45 minutes or so, then I finally determined, well, he, that company's not growing very fast and he's got a lot of time on his hands. You know, right, exactly. Growing companies are the ones that are the most, that, 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 that the decision makers are most difficult to reach, but you've got to, you've got to do, to do that. If you can go in and identify the decision makers and get to them before they have an actual project, that's actually pretty predictable that they're going to have a project because you can look at their history of growth. You can look and see where they put projects in the past. And all of that is, is you may think of it as big data, but it's not big compared to other big data, really big data applications that there are out there. But, but the challenge to doing that is that, is that economic development's mostly a cottage industry. I mean, it's most economic development organizations are one or two or three people with a budget of a million and maybe a little more than that. And, um, they have other priorities than spending money on data analysis. And it's really hard for them to find a, a data scientist. So if you're going to do this sort of approach, it needs to be done at a big regional or, or state level. And, uh, a lot of times I don't think the state organizations are particularly well suited to doing that. So, but, um, that was, that was that, some of the things that I, that I talked yes, about. That, that's exactly um, what we were, what I was talking about. Yeah. So, um, and you know, you're not going to hear about that. No one's going to write it, an article about it and put it in one of the economic development publications. I mean, why would you give away your biggest, you know, lead generating technique? That would be your biggest secret. So why tell anybody about it, you know? Right. And I think that's probably one of the benefits that you have of having written a novel and your readers will ultimately have is that you do give away these things that are sort of secrets, secrets of the industry. Um, and you can do that because it's, you know, it's fiction and it's not, it's not real. Right. Maybe it's realistic. Maybe it's not, but that's what fiction is. Um, exactly. Um, you know, it's, it's for people to figure out for themselves, whether it's, it's realistic or not. Right. Um, yeah. When, when I got to the end of the book and then I listened to the afterword, wherein yeah. you say, this is all fiction and it's not based on anyone. I was really glad to hear that because, you know, for a while there, I thought maybe you had a real chip on your shoulder um, huh. over some of the organizations in the state of Alabama. No, it's, it, well, let me clarify. It's, it's not all fiction. By that, I mean, all fiction except for, for fantasy and science fiction begins with the real world and then departs mm-hmm. from it. And as I stated in the afterward, I took the state of Alabama um, economically as it was in 2014. So, so things that you read about Alabama in there related to um, median household income and things like that, you know, those are, those are accurate as best I could make them. But then I created organizations and companies and to, and that's where I departed from reality on it. So so all the organizations and the people and characters and all that are, you know, are, are, um, are totally, um, fictional in it. Right. So in, in the book, the, the main character goes to work for this nonprofit, this philanthropic vehicle that a, a gentleman who was very wealthy and had moved to Alabama and wanted to give back. 
and they were using that money to do economic development. Is there something like that in Alabama or did you completely make that up? I really sort of made it up um, for the most part. Yeah. Um, I mean, the idea was out there. You, you have a lot of wealthy people in the world today and they are doing unusual things. It may be trying to get people to go to Mars, put people mm -hmm. on Mars or put people in orbit or, you know, all sorts of things. And so it's not beyond the, uh, the possible that, uh, for a relatively small amount of money that one of these folks might want to do something like this for their state, uh, particularly since the particular thing we're talking about is how a lot of them got their money in the first place. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, right. Um, Switching gears, let's talk about the actual writing process. You worked on this book for a long time and then ultimately finished it during the pandemic. What, you know, did you always want to write a novel? I did. Every, every since I was in college, I wanted to write a novel, but I really didn't. In college, I didn't feel like I had enough life experience to really, I mean, you can write a novel about being in fraternity or something like that, but right. I mean, you know, to write a novel, I didn't feel like I had enough life experience to write one. And then you get involved in your career and that sort of thing. And it's easy to put those things off, but you get a certain age and you realize that life's not forever. And so in 2014, I said, well, if I'm going to do this thing, I better get to it. So, um, I found, I, I, I really started my career as a corporate writer, so I'd written a lot, but I found writing a novel to be very, very different. Um, you know, and you know, every Every economic developer has stories. I mean, mm -hmm. economic developers love stories, but, but writing a novel is more than just stringing a series of stories together. I mean, you've got to have, uh, something happens to the main character to put him or her in a different situation. They, they get into deep trouble. You know, they have to work themselves out of trouble. I mean, things had, there's, there's certain pretty structured ideas if you're writing most novels or thrillers, um, that has to happen. And I didn't know all that part of it. So I stopped and started and struggled. And one Christmas I went to a writing seminar in New York during the Christmas holidays and, and went to other seminars and finally, um, um, finally struggled through it and got to a point where I felt, you know, pretty decent at it. And the other, the other part of it that was a real challenge was how you gather the information to do it. Um, I guess two key things that helped me was one, I've always said some of my best thoughts about things have been while driving in a car, but the challenge, I think it's because you're, so, you're, you know, you're sort of doing it automatically, your mind's mm -hmm. at its most rested and it can think up these ideas, but you can't pull over every 30 seconds and jot down notes. And if you, and a lot, a lot of times you don't remember them by the time you finally do stop. And so that, uh, the, the, uh, dictating dictation transcription feature on Apple's great. I mean, I could do a three or four hour trip and I'd have 20 pages of notes, um, at the end of it. And then I just email it to myself, um, and then cut and paste into word. And in the second tool technology tool that came along was the, the outlining feature of word which enables you to move around and organize massive amounts of data, hundreds of pages of data by paragraphs. And so it's just sort of like these, you know, uh, the book's a hundred thousand words, which is an average length. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a, probably about a hundred, about a thousand paragraphs. And you, you know, think of those thousand paragraphs as a thousand pieces of a jigsaw puzzle. 
right? It's sort of moving each one of those paragraphs around, you know, moving it here and there and getting them organized in the right way until you finally have sort of a coherent story. Does that make sense? That does make sense. Yeah. So did you, so really there was some technology tools that I used to really help me um, because probably more than most novels, this had a lot of data. Right. I mean, facts. I mean, some people they'll write a novel and, you know, there's very few real facts. They just invented all. Well, I, I had to manage a lot of real facts. In fact, the first version of this thing was footnoted. It's hundreds and hundreds of footnotes. <laughs> but, um, but so, yeah, so I had to be accurate on a lot of things. So hey, that's, that's sort of how I did it. So w- was this a solitary thing? You know, were you working on this by yourself? Did you have, you know, people that assisted you? Did you have regular no. readers? No, I, I inhale uh, a huge amount of information each day. I mean, <laughs> I go through dozens almost. And that's, that's one reason, you know, when I subscribe to your, uh, to that econ dev show, the links that you have each day, it's great for me because it's another way that I know you, you almost pre-screen some of these things and I go down and go, yeah, you know, I can use that, but right. But that's where you get a lot of your ideas. It's like, um, a few days ago, there was an article in the New York times about how after the American civil war, that planners plantation planners in Mississippi and Louisiana and Arkansas, um, since they didn't have blacks working on the plantation, they recruited Chinese to come and work on the plantations. Of course, the Chinese quickly realized this is crazy. We're not doing this, but they stayed in those areas and and started small stores. And, and so there is a Chinese American community in Mississippi and in Louisiana and Arkansas. There's even a museum in Mississippi about it. You go, yeah, you know, I can do something with this. Right. Um, right. You know, so you start thinking, well, you know, what would maybe you have a local economic developer who, um, whose grandfather was Chinese or great grandfather. You know, what kind of wrinkle does that put in a, a story? So, but, so I get my ideas reading a lot, um, each day and, and then inventing off of something I read. So. It is, but it's, so I assume that you're working on a sequel. How close are we? I guess. How many years are we going to have to wait for this one? Well, not as long as the first one, because I have a system down now. You know, it's like when you're you're doing a production line or something. You mm-hmm. you know, once you once you figure out the way to do it, then you can be a lot more efficient. So I don't have to go through all the how do I organize this and um, and I. It's, it's going to go pretty quickly, maybe, maybe the end of 2022, beginning of 2023. I, I don't think I can turn out one a year, like some of the thriller guys do. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also won't be as, as formula based as some of those either. Some right. of those, after you read them, they're pretty much the same sort of thing. And second one will have an economic development aspect to it, but I, I don't have to go, you know. I don't have to do chapters 14 through 16 with all Correct. the theory right. and stuff. So, so, um, so I hope to mainstream it a little more as sneak it into the general wide population as a thriller novel. And then an even bigger group of the public picks up some economic development aspects. Have you, has it had much success, not just selling it, but also has it been featured a number of places in the mainstream? 
you know, it's, you know, John Grisham's not sweating yet, but it's, 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 it's not like a mainstream book that comes out and then three weeks later, everybody's read it and that sort of thing. I mean, I don't think that economic developers in the Northeast or the West, for the most part, yet know anything about it. Um, right. I'm not sure, you know, someone warned me in the beginning, well, you really want to put Alabama in the title. Does that limit its scope or appeal to some people? But maybe it does. But I think the lessons in the book are pretty universal. I mean, I, I could have, I think I could have taken this same story and really done it almost anywhere in the U.S. I mean, the main characters are going to be the same. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going to have local economic developers. You're going to have a, a state organization of some kind, either public or public-private partnership or something. Most of the time throughout the country, utilities are involved in economic development. You're going to have companies looking for sites. Uh, you're going to have um, site selectors. Um, and, and everywhere you have people that are wanting good jobs. I mean, those are sort of universal sort of things. And I thought about it. Well, do I, you know, just invent a place like, you know, this is set in the state of Dixie or something, but mm-hmm. then, then you have to invent cities as well. And it just starts to get sort of unrealistic, but I think I could, I think I could do a rewrite on this and set it in Texas or set it in North Carolina or a lot of other places. I don't know. What's, what's your thought about that? I think that's exactly true. I think you could place this all kinds of places. And when I started reading it, honestly, I didn't know a lot about Alabama. Um, I sort of had negative feelings in general about Alabama, I guess. And after reading it, I thought I had a much better idea of what um, the state was like. I thought you did a great job of selling it and describing it and and making it seem better better than it was. Because, I mean, that is something that you're doing in fiction. You're making everything a little bit greater than it is, you know greater good, greater bad. No, most of the country is flyover country. Mm-hmm. I mean, most of the country has the same challenges and worries that they're, you know, nobody knows about them much. I mean, 99% of the localities have that. Um, so, right. um, yeah. So it's, right. yeah. Which I think is why economic development is such an important field because we do such uh, great work for people that, because ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about creating jobs and bringing jobs, good jobs for the residents. I mean, they all just want to have a good job that they can get up to and go to and work at that, that they feel like they're a productive part of society and that they're able to pay for their necessities and their families and all of that. And every place needs that. It's not just in Alabama. It's not just in Texas. It's ev- everywhere. You did sort of romanticize and make the the field of economic development slightly more exciting than it really is, maybe for some people. But I mean, it is a real valuable profession that we're engaged in. We are doing real good for real people in real time. Yeah, you know, if if you ask anybody who was a real spy as a James Bond right. novel or movie realistic, they would go, No. No. But, but they mm-hmm. like they like that the movies are out there, you know. Exactly. But um yeah. you know, this thing about communities. One thing that in that chapter 14 through 16 that you talk about is I talk about how we media tries to constantly rank states and the state outlines are really of of little relevance in most economic development projects. I mean, 
as I point out, Huntsville, Alabama is closer to Louisville, Kentucky than it is Mobile, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Um, there's very little, very little in common, um, between the two cities and most of the real site selection factors are, are locality based, um, and not statewide. Um, even some of the ones that you think might be like state taxes, by the time you throw in incentives and stuff, it's not nearly as clear cut. Um, and so, you know, every state in this country has, has wonderful cities and cities that are struggling. Um, just like every big city in this country has wonderful mm -hmm. places in the city and play parts of the cities that are struggling. And, um, uh, just trying to get away from that. A lot of times this try to ranking by state doesn't, doesn't really, it, it's something to try to avoid. It's, it's a, it's, 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 it's like a, it's like a lot of the data out there. It's like unemployment rate, mm -hmm. right? You know, unemployment rate to me is almost useless without also knowing what the labor force participation rate is, because you can have an area that has a low unemployment rate, but if it has a low labor force participation rate, that means there are a lot of people out there not working, a lot of whom may have given up trying to find a job. You know, if, if you try, if you go and look for a job for six months and then six weeks ago, you decide to take a break from it, you're not counted as unemployed, uh, mm -hmm. according to the definition. And so a lot of times we, we try to go fast and loose with these statistics and, and that, that was part of in there. And it, and sometimes, you know, another thing is everybody focuses on site selectors all the time. Well, if you look at Development Counselors International, they have a great document on their website where they do surveys. Only about half of the medium and big projects do the companies use outside help at all for the site selection process. And when they do, only a, a small amount of the time relatively do they use dedicated site selectors. And so... If your if your strategy for attracting companies is to get in good with the site selectors, you're only going after a minority of the projects. Right. What's your strategy for going after all the rest of the projects? You know. Um, so anyway, that that's exactly that was all that, part of fourteen yes, through sixteen those chapters. Yeah, to sort yeah. of, um, you know, the biggest compliment I've had is people, members of the public, that told me it's an easy read, and I thought, my God, you know, they went. <laughs> If they, if they understood the economic development stuff that I was trying to put in there and said it was an easy read, then I'm, I'm, you know, pretty satisfied with it. So for our listeners, if they're enjoying this conversation at all that you and I are having, they will enjoy the economic development portions of the book. And if they like thrillers, it's a thriller. And I mean, it's a legitimate, there are murders and, and there are action sequences. That was, that was, a, that was an exciting action sequence. It's, it's got it all and it's got economic development. So when I went to this seminar in New York for the first day, they go, well, if you're writing a thriller, somebody's got to die. And I'm like, oh my heavens, you know, how do I, how do I make somebody <laughs> die in an economic development book? <laughs> but, um, you know, so but it was, it was a stretching experience for me. It was, uh, I bet I enjoyed it though. I thought that's, you know, I, I, the only, and, and maybe there's some out there, but sort of what got me started on this initially was in the nineties when I was traveling all around the world a lot, I'd, I spent a lot of time reading on airplanes and I'd read a tech thriller or a spa thriller or a 
or a legal thriller. And I'd go, well, what I'm doing is just as exciting as this. And, um, and then I started looking around and I couldn't find an economic development thriller and really still have it. The, the closest thing to it may be, uh, Tom Wolf, mm-hmm. the writer 15 years or so ago, wrote a book called a man in full about the commercial real estate industry in Atlanta. And, um, that's, you know, commercial real estate is like a little segment of economic development, but I couldn't find a fiction book written about. Uh, industry attraction or what local economic developers do. And so, um, I thought, why not, you know? So, um, if you're an economic developer, the, the target for the book is not only you, but if, but if you have a board who thinks they know everything about economic development, you know, you might want to hand them a few copies of the book to, and they might realize maybe they don't know everything about economic development. That's excellent. Advice. If they won't read a text, if you hand them a textbook, I don't think they'll read a textbook, but they might read a thriller. Well, and I did listen to your, to the audio book that, that you read. I did. So they might like listening to that, even if they're not big readers. Well, I actually, this was published last October and, and I did initially paper in Kindle and my wife kept telling me. She said, people don't read books these days. They listen to audiobooks, And she kept telling me that. And slowly it sunk into my thick head as I talked with people. Yeah, she's right. And so I actually delayed doing the audiobook till about uh, the 1st of July. And I just bit the bullet. And, and, um, um, and I thought, well, and, and at each stage of this, I, was, I, I tried to, for it to be a learning experience, to really understand the, the book writing business. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to go ahead and do, I had the technical skills for doing the editing, but, but actually being the voice was really scary. I mean, there's no skills in common between writing a book and doing an audio book, but so it took about uh, five weeks, six days a week, eight or nine hours a day to do it. Um, but, um, I, you know, I crunched it out and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I've read the book several times after I published it, but I, I still can't bring myself to, <laughs> listen, to listen to listen. my voice, yeah. you know, <laughs> but, but it's amazing. I mean, it's opened up, uh, it's opened up a lot of doors that would have never been open if I had not done the audiobook version of it. So does the audiobook does it sell more than the print book? Um, it's at least as much. Wow. It's amazing to me too. And the thing is, it, it reaches, and for me, this is not just volume, but it's also decision makers. Mm-hmm. It also, what struck me is it reached people, key people who would never take the time to read a 324 page book, but they're driving a lot in their cars mm-hmm. or they're doing their hour a day walk that they're doing right. for health reasons and they will listen. Um, and so it, it opened up a whole new, you know, it's, it's great to be an old guy and still learn new things. I mean, that's, that's a pleasure in life to me. Well. Don, I really appreciate you coming on the show today and talking and talking through all of this. I had so many things I just wanted to hear you talk about after having read your book. So I really appreciate it. And I hope that our, our listeners have um, enjoyed this. And I hope that they go out and pick up your book or get a copy for their boards and their mothers and their friends. I hope <laughs> it's super successful. I hope that this is a whole nother career for you, that uh, you get to develop this and over the next 
10, 15 years. We see more and more and more of these books. And I hope that ultimately you're the start of uh, economic development fictional sort of category. Well, economic development is a great profession. I mean, I enjoy doing economic development more than anything I've ever done. And, you know, part of it is you, you can make a good living, but you're doing good. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's such a shame um, that more people don't know about the profession because it's a great, it's a great profession. Um, it, it's, it's where you can go to sleep at night feeling good, or you go drive by a building and see cars outside in the parking lot and know that you had a role in, in people getting, getting good jobs. Um, I mean, it's a great feeling and, and more, more people need to know about what a great profession it is. And that was part of my motivation for writing it. Well, I, I think you did an excellent job. I think that you sold the industry well, and I think you're of benefit to all of us. And we all owe you a debt for doing this, for being the first one to to write this book and to present these ideas. I think we're all better because of it. So thank you very much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. Um, if our listeners want to uh, learn more about you, find the book. Um, is there a website they should go to? Yeah, that they can get the book in paper, Kindle, or audiobook at uh, Amazon. I think um, you can go directly to Audible if you want the audiobook, or even Apple has it as audiobook. Uh, for me, um, donerwin.net, it's uh, D-O-N-E-R-W-I-N.net, um, is a website about the book, has a little bio about me, some of the reviews on the book, that sort of thing. Excellent. And then if anybody wants to reach out to you, is what would be the best way for them to, to reach out to you? Um, maybe the easiest is there's a contact spot on the website and just, just zip me a message and I'll get back with them on it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Don. I really appreciate it. I do too. Thank you, Dane. I look forward to, um, you know, I've just recently discovered your, your, um, your, website and blog. Um, and it's a delight. Um, so I listened to several of these podcasts to sort of, to try to prepare for this and right to decide and, if this was something you were willing yeah, to do. I, I appreciate and that. Listen to the rest of them now as well. So, uh, it's, it's great. We need, we need innovative thinkers in the economic development business. The more, the more, the better. Well, thank you. Yeah. Like you, I'm a, a voracious reader and I was a professional blogger for a very long time. and I missed that. And so earlier this year, I thought, you know what? I really need to do this. I need to get started again, writing and sharing information that I was finding. And I've always listened to podcasts. I've listened to podcasts for years and years, and I listen to dozens of them a day. I listen on very high speed. Sometimes I can even listen to two simultaneously. I don't know how that's possible, but I do sometimes. And I've done a lot of speaking, but I never had done it myself. I never had done my own podcast. And so earlier this year, I said, okay, we're going to do this. I'm going to do this. And just like you having not listened to your audiobook, I only recently did I actually listen to one of my podcasts other than when I was editing it. But, and I thought, oh, that's not horrible. I can let my wife and my children listen to it now. So just know that as, as somebody who has that same issue about audio, I thought your audiobook was very good. I thought it was well, very well done. Well, thank you. I, I don't know when you sleep. But keep doing what you're doing. We appreciate it. Thank you. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, 
and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level. Visit us on the web at econdevshow.com. 